Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 162 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news of a data breach affecting Fitbit, Strava and other fitness apps. Staying with fitness apps and staying in the US, we have news that the FTC has updated the data rules to include fitness apps. We then travel to the Channel Island of Guernsey, where the regulator is saying that human error is responsible for the bulk of data breaches in Guernsey. We then come to the UK, where the ICO has issued guidance for pension trustees. And then we look at the perils of 360-degree photography for interior views for estate agents. We then travel to the Republic of Ireland, where the Irish Central Bank has breached the data of a number of Irish credit unions. And then to New Zealand, where the current New Zealand Data Commissioner, John Edwards, has hit the New Zealand Reserve Bank with compliance notice. This could perhaps be his last action in New Zealand before he comes to the UK to become our Information Commissioner from the end of October. We then have news that a suspect has been arrested after the Experian data breach in South Africa. And then we travel to France, where the French COVID-19 track and trace system has had a data breach. And then to the USA, where the anonymous hacking group has hacked Epic servers. Epic are known to host a number of right-wing websites and other web apps in the US. And Anonymous took this action after the Texas abortion law, which has been well covered in mainstream media. Remaining in the USA, we have news that the United Nations data breach is continuing to cause problems. And then returning to Europe, we have the ongoing saga of the standard contractual clauses following the SREMS 2 ruling. And then finally this week, we return to Ireland, where the Irish Civil Liberties Group has been deeply critical of the Irish Data Protection Commission, saying that the Irish DPC acts as a break on effective GDPR implementation in the Republic of Ireland. So as always, a broad mix of articles for you this week. We hope that you find the information in those articles useful and informative. And as always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible, we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. But unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. And just before we get into the main content of this week's programme, I just want to give a quick plug. If anybody is in the Birmingham area of the United Kingdom this week, particularly on Wednesday, then I will be holding a GDPR Masterclass at the Business Networking Show, which is being held at the Aston Villa Stadium. Tickets to the Business Networking Show are completely free. And if you just go to www.businessnetworkingshow.info, then you can register there for your free tickets. And I look forward to seeing as many of you there as possible at the show. If you do come to the show, please do come along to our stand at the exhibition, as it would be great to meet you. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. We begin this week with news of a data breach affecting users of a number of wearable health gadgets and applications. The breach involves a database that belongs to New York City-based company GetHealth. As part of its worldwide services, it stores information from fitness wearables, medical devices and apps. The massive breach spans almost 17 gigabytes of data, 
all stored in a plain text file that requires no password to access. The exposed data of this leak includes information from apps like Fitbit, Google Fit, Map My Fitness, Sony LifeLog, Strava, Apple HealthKit, Android Sensor, and S Health. Most of these apps select data that include your fitness level, heart rate, profile details, weight, and tracking of where you run or stay active. But while those data points don't seem too bad, other exposed information includes your first and last name, display names, gender, birthday, time zone, and of course what fitness device you're using. The good news is that the database has since been secured, but of course we don't know if the data's already fallen into the wrong hands. It's suggested that you check the Have I Been Pawned website and see if the information was compromised. So that domain to check is haveibeenpawned.com, which is H-A-V-E-I-B-E-N-P-W-N-E-D.com. Go there, enter your email address, and it will tell you whether anyone has compromised your details. If we receive any update on this from any of the fitness apps involved, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GPL Week Show. <laughs> Remaining in the US and talking about fitness apps, the US Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, has warned apps and devices that collect personal health information that they must notify consumers if their data is breached or shared with third parties without their permission. In a close vote on Wednesday, which is understood to be 3-2, to two, the FTC agreed on a new policy statement to clarify a decade-old 2009 health breach notification rule, which requires companies handling health records to notify consumers if their data is accessed without permission, such as the result of a breach. This rule has now been extended to apply to health apps and devices, specifically calling out apps that track fertility data, fitness and blood glucose, which too often fail to invest in adequate privacy and data security, according to the chair of FTC, Lena Khan. In a statement, Lena Khan said, Digital apps are routinely caught playing fast and loose with user data, leaving users' sensitive health information susceptible to hacks and breaches. She pointed to a study published this year in the British Medical Journal that found that health apps suffer from serious problems ranging from the insecure transmission of user data to the unauthorised sharing of data with advertisers. There have also been a number of recent high-profile breaches involving health apps in recent years, the one we've just mentioned in the previous article, of course, and also Babylon House, a UK artificial intelligence chatbot and telehealth startup, which last year suffered a data breach after a software error allowed users to access other patients' video consultations. Under the new rule, any company offering health apps or connected fitness devices that collect personal health data must notify consumers if their data has been compromised. It's important to remember that this doesn't just mean a data breach. It means anyone who's had unauthorised access to the personal data, including the sharing of information without an individual's permission. The FTC was keen to state that if it detects that apps are not following this new rule, then they will vigorously enforce fines of $43,792 per violation per day. If you'd like to learn more about the Babylon House data breach, we covered this in episodes 96 and 110 of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To the UK now, and specifically the Channel Island of Guernsey, where the Office of Data Protection Authority, the ODPA, has called on Guernsey businesses to take steps to mitigate human error in data handling. 
of the ODPA has revealed that there were 36 data breaches between July and August this year involving Guernsey companies. Of these, 22 breaches occurred when personal information was sent to the wrong person by email or post. One of the breaches was from an organisation which sent a lengthy health report about a child via the post to the wrong family. The ODPA encouraged all local businesses and organisations to take action on these preventable incidents which often arise due to human error. A spokesman for the ODPA said in extreme cases a personal data breach can cause lasting harm to the people whose data has been breached, not to mention the reputational damage that can be done to the organisation responsible for what went wrong. And of course, if you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that this is something we've mentioned many times, that in our experience, one of the most common data breaches occurs when either a letter is posted to the wrong person, an invoice is posted to the wrong person, or an email is sent to the wrong person. And it's all so easily preventable with just a little bit of thought and training. If you need help with training on GDPR, we would, of course, be very happy to help you please just contact us on the contact details which are coming up right now. Remaining in the UK, the Information Commissioner's Office has issued some updated guidance for pension trustees with regard to UK GDPR. It recommends that pension trustees should conduct a data audit and impact assessment to identify what personal data is held by the pension scheme who that data is shared with and what security processes the pensions team has in place, provide members and beneficiaries with a fair processing notice setting out the legal basis upon which the trustees controlled and processed personal data, giving data subjects this information is a requirement under the UK GDPR, and a key consideration for pension trustees is the basis upon which they control and process special category data, i.e. house or sexual orientation information or even, of course, uh, trade union membership particularly of dependent beneficiaries, e.g. those who've been named by the pension member on their expression of wish form, because, of course, until the member actually becomes deceased, the trustees don't have a direct relationship with that person or persons who are on the member's expression of wish form. And so you can't use consent as your reason for holding that data about those people. You need to find another of the legal basis to do so. The ICO also recommends that pension trustees implement a data protection policy to set out how the trustees would comply with UK GDPR, including how they would notify data breaches and demonstrate accountability for compliance. It's recommended, of course, that the trustees also review third-party contracts with data processors, for example, might be the Steam Administrator, to ensure that they themselves are UK GDPR compliant, and also implementing UK GDPR training for pension trustees which is a key requirement under UK GDPR. Now, if you're a pension trustee, you might be thinking, how on earth do we get this underway? Well, we can help you with all of that. So if you would like us to help you with that, specifically if you're a pension trustee, then please do email us at pensions at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk. And one of our pension specialists would be delighted to help you. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Remaining in the UK, but turning now to estate agents, there's a growing use of 360-degree internal views of houses to give prospective buyers a better impression of what a property looks like inside and, of course, reducing the number of needs for people to visit houses in the COVID era so that there's less concern about COVID being either 
brought into the house by a visitor or indeed the estate agent or someone in the house having COVID and the estate agent having to curtail viewings of the property until the isolation period has ended. That's all well and good, but the introduction of 360 degree photos brings a whole host of GDPR issues because there could be photographs of uh, children or other relatives of the householder, there could be letters pinned to the fridge, there could be letters just left on a desk or on a table within the house which suddenly become visible within the 360 degree view, particularly if someone's determined to try and find that information. Now, because all of this is avoidable, it just needs some careful thought when conducting the 360 degree photography of the property. But as we've received a number of queries about this to our help desk in the last few weeks, we thought it was worth mentioning here on the GDPR Weekly Show to bring it to the attention of estate agents across the UK, across the EU generally. We may well run a special feature in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show about how to best protect property when a 360 viewing is taking place so that the chances of a breach of GDPR are minimised. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday 4pm UK time. To the Republic of Ireland now and it's emerged that credit union executives were not told by the central bank that their personal details had been wrongly handed over to a third party until more than two months after the mistake had occurred. The central bank, which regulates the credit union sector, wrote to about 50 credit unions informing them that the names and home addresses of chairpersons and chief executives had been mistakenly disclosed to a third party. The breach has raised security concerns around those affected. The letter, seen by the Irish Times, said the breach occurred on April 20th on the foot of an information request by an individual, but was not reported to the Data Protection Commission until May the 20th. The letter informing affected parties was dated June the 24th. The central bank told the credit union officials that it requested the report containing the the central bank told credit union officials they requested a report containing the personal information be deleted by the recipient. It received confirmation that this had occurred on May the 19th and the Data Protection Commission was informed the following day. The regulator is required by law to report data breaches without undue delay. In a statement, it said it identified and contacted impacted data subjects as soon as possible where it was possible to do so. It apologised to all parties affected and said it would take all necessary steps to reduce the likelihood of it happening again. The Irish League of Credit Unions, the ILCU, expressed concern over the breach, which also involved dates of birth, and said there were fresh concerns over the requirement to, on local credit union executives, many of whom are volunteers, to hand over PPS numbers. In a statement, it said the ICLU has written to the Head of Registered Service at the Central Bank to convey the concern caused among volunteer officers and chief executives of the credit union sector, and in particular in light of the fact that credit unions will soon be required to provide the PPSN of beneficial owners for the purposes of the register. The ICLU has requested a copy of the Data Protection Impact Assessment as it relates to the decision to process the PPSN of beneficial owners for the purposes of confirming their identity, as it does not appear to be necessary or proportionate to process the PPSN of beneficial owners in the current circumstances. We have also sought a copy of the privacy notice with respect to the register and assurances with respect to the safeguards in place to protect the personal data on the register. 
The central bank said the selection of PPS numbers will commence from the fourth quarter of this year. It added that it was very conscious of the necessity to ensure the protection of all personal data under its control. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To New Zealand now, and perhaps in one of his last actions before leaving New Zealand to become the new UK Information Commissioner, John Edwards says an independent review carried out by KPMG into the Reserve Bank gave him no option but to issue a compliance notice under the new Privacy Act, which came into force in December last year. He said the review by KPMG revealed multiple areas of non-compliance with Privacy Principle 5. Principle 5 of the New Zealand Privacy Act states that organisations must ensure there are safeguards in place that are reasonable in the circumstances to prevent loss, misuse or disclosure of personal information. Failure to follow a compliance notice risks a $10,000 fine. The Reserve Bank Governor Adrian Orr said the Privacy Commission's findings are consistent with the findings and recommendations in the KPMG review. We accept these findings and take full responsibility for the shortfalls identified in our systems and processes. Mr Orr added... We have a detailed programme of work underway to address these. This work started shortly after the data breach through our Business Services Improvement Programme, which continues to be a key priority for us here at Central Bank. In December 2020, a file sharing service called FTA, File Transfer Application, was breached. It is operated by a US company called Acelion, which the Royal Bank in New Zealand used to share files with its customers, who include retail banks and insurance companies. The issue of cybersecurity was raised in May 2020, initially in a confidential Royal Bank of New Zealand report called Digital Services Consultation for Change, with a forward by the bank's then Chief Information Officer, Scott Fisher, who left the bank in June this year to win it a personal decision. The report included that there was high operational risk due to technical obsolescence and underinvestment in security across many of the core technology platforms. John Edwards said that he was pleased to see the positive way that they've dealt with the aftermath of the attack. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To South Africa now, and the Hawks arrested a 36-year-old suspect in Guatang on 15th of September following an investigation into a data breach at Experian in August 2020. The South African Banking Risk Information Centre announced that Experian, a consumer credit reporting company, had experienced a data breach exposing the personal details of millions of consumers in South Africa. Experian initially concerned it experienced a data breach which exposed some personal information of as many as 24 million South Africans and 793,749 business entities to a suspected bad actor. It released a statement saying its system had not been hacked, assuring customers that no financial data had been compromised. However, personal information was leaked, including consumer addresses, ID numbers, names and occupations. Our investigations indicate that an individual in South Africa purporting to represent a legitimate client fraudulently requested services from Experian, the company said. The services involved in release of information which is provided in the ordinary course of business or which is publicly available. We can confirm that no consumer credit or consumer financial information was obtained. Our investigations do not indicate that any misappropriated data has been used for fraudulent purposes. It added that its investigations showed that the suspect intended to use the data to create marketing leads to offer insurance and credit-related services. In a statement on Wednesday, the SAPS said that it alleged that Experian entered into a contract with the suspect who purported to be a certain Tibogo Mogagosha, a director of Talis Holdings. 
The agreement gave the person access to the personal information held by the credit bureau of millions of people. The suspect then proceeded to download approximately 23 million personal data records and 727,000 business records. The suspect had then attempted to sell these records for about 4.2 million rand. Consequent to his arrest, the suspect was due to appear in the Palm Ridge Magistrates Court on the 15th of September on charges of fraud and the contravention of the Electronic Communications and Transactions Act. To France now, and it's understood that hackers have attacked the Paris public hospital system and nabbed the personal data of approximately 1.4 million Top ID 19 test recipients. The incident compromised contact information, social security numbers and test results, as well as contact details for the house workers who administered the tests. The system targeted was a file-sharing service that was used only for a brief time to transmit information to the National Top ID 19 contact tracing system which was experiencing technical issues at the time, and as a result, only testing data from mid-2020 has been compromised. The French National Agency for the Security of Information Systems and the French data watchdog, CNIL, have both been notified, and the latter has launched an investigation. It's worth noting that this is the second incident impacting French COVID-19 data in recent weeks, as earlier this month, the breach of a pharmacist platform linked with the track and trace system in France led to the exposure of test results and personal data of 700,000 individuals. If we receive any update on either of these from CNIL, we will of course bring that news to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. To America now, and hacking group Anonymous claims to have obtained gigabytes of data from Epic, which provides domain name hosting and DNS services for a variety of clients. These include the Texas GOP, GAB, Parler and 8chan, amongst other US right-wing sites. The stolen data has been released as a torrent. The Activist Collective says that the dataset, which is over 180 gigs in size, contains a decade's worth of data from the company. Anonymous says the dataset is all that's needed to trace actual ownership and management of the fascist side of the internet that has eluded researchers, activists and, well, just about everybody. If this information is correct, Epic's customer data identities could now fall into the hands of activists, researchers and anyone curious enough to take a peek. Epic is a domain registrar and web services provider known to serve right-wing clients. Anonymous's activities began with what the group calls Operation Jane after the Texas Heartbeat Act was signed into law this month. This is the restrictive abortion law which allows private individuals, not necessarily government bodies or the police, to enforce the six-week abortion ban. According to the Act, any Texas resident can bring a civil lawsuit against any person who performs or helps to perform an illegal abortion and claim at least $10,000 in damages. Anonymous says the data includes all domain purchases, all domain transfers, in and out, all who is this history, unredacted, all DNS changes, all email forwards and catch-alls, payment history but not credit card data, account credentials for all Epic customers, hosting, anonymized VPN, Epic internal systems and servers and Epic's GoDaddy logins. It's also understood that among the data set are various secret databases which contain information relating to Epic customers. If we receive any update on this from Anonymous or Epic, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Way back in episode 127, we brought you news of a data breach by hackers at the United Nations. This week, the United Nations confirmed that attacks tied to this breach are still continuing. 
The data breach appears to stem from an employee login that was sold on the dark web. The attackers used this entry point to move further and further into the United Nations networks and conducted reconnaissance during April and August this year. Information gleaned from this activity appears to have been put to use in further attacks, with attempts made on at least 53 user accounts. It's understood that the hackers bought this original login for just a thousand US dollars. CNN in these states has reported that multiple security firms detected the data breach and attempted to warn the UN about it, but the UN claimed that they'd already detected the breach and was taking steps to mitigate it before it was contacted by any outside parties. It's understood that the Amuja account that was originally compromised did not have multi-factor authentication enabled. The Amuja website says that the service added that option when it moved to Microsoft Azure in July this year, which of course was a little too late in the UN's case. The UN, of course, has a unique need for cutting-edge cybersecurity, given it's one of the world's prime targets for hackers and that it fields regular attacks from advanced operators. It is perhaps therefore surprising that it was using systems without multi-factor authentication as late as July this year. In 2018, Russian hackers thought to be state-backed attacked the Organisation for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons in retaliation for its investigation into the use of a nerve agent for a political assassination attempt against a former spy living in Salisbury in the UK. The UN data breach highlights a particular measure that is too often overlooked, yet it's a simple fix, better management of employee credentials. Even without multi-factor authentication in place, the initial breach would not have happened if the accounts of former or inactive employees were routinely disabled and regular scanning for the appearance of leaked credentials on the dark web can cut off damage from breaches that compromise the accounts of current employees, as can regular attempts to change passwords. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. One issue that continues to be raised with our help desk is the use of standard contractual clauses following the SREMS 2 case, which we've covered in depth here many times on the GDPR Week show. Taking the UK first, since early May this year, the ICO has been working on bespoke UK standard contractual clauses to facilitate transfers of personal data from the UK to third countries since the introduction of UK GDPR. In the meantime, it said that parties could continue to use the old EU standard contractual clauses as their transfer mechanisms. On August 11th this year, the ICO published a draft international data transfer agreement and a draft UK addendum to the new standard contractual clauses for public consultation. It recommends that all references in the standard contractual clauses to GDPR should be replaced with references to UK data protection laws. The supervisory authority should be the ICO, and disputes arising from the new standard contractual clauses, including legal proceedings brought by the subject, must be resolved by the courts of England and Wales. But because the UK addendum has not been finalised or formally adopted, the ICO's public consultation period closes on October the 7th, the old standard contractual clauses remain the only contract-based transfer mechanism that has been blessed by the ICO. As a result, until the UK addendum is finalised and approved, companies seeking cover transfers from the EEA and the UK to third countries will need to implement both the new and old standard contractual clauses. The other country which has an issue with this is Switzerland. On August 27th, the Swiss FDPIC announced that it will recognise the new standard contractual clauses as a basis for transfer of personal data to third countries with a caveat. The new standard contractual clauses must be adapted and or supplemented as necessary in specific cases to account for the application of the Swiss Federal Act on Data Protection, the FADP. 
To determine the necessary adjustments to the new standard contractual clauses, the FDPIC instructs Swiss data exporters to take the following steps. Determine which laws govern the transfer. If personal data is transferred from Switzerland to a third country and there's no link to GDPR, i.e. the personal data transferred relates to only Swiss residents and not EEA residents, then the data transfer is subject solely to the FADP, otherwise the data transfer is subject to both FADP and GDPR. If the data transfer is exclusively subject to the FADP, modify the new standard contractual clauses to specify this. In this instance, the new standard contractual clauses must be modified in a number of ways for an additional annex, including, for example, by listing the FDPIC as the competent supervisory authority and specifying that all references to GDPR are to be understood as references to FADP. However, if the data transfer is subject to both FADP and GDPR, decide whether to include both transfer mechanisms or apply the GDPR standard for all transfers. Under this scenario, the parties may either use two separate transfer regimes, one for transfers under FADP and one for transfers under GDPR, or implement GDPR standard for all data processing, including transfers. Taking the latter approach, though, requires modifying the new standard contractual clauses to, among other things, provide for parallel supervised authority between the FDPIC and the EEA authority selected in clause 13 of the new standard contractual clauses. Regardless of which law applies, the parties must supplement the standard contractual clauses with an annex specifying that the term member state must not be interpreted in a way that excludes data subjects in Switzerland from the possibility of suing in Switzerland for their rights over their personal data. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday 4pm UK time. To Ireland now, and a new report from the Irish Council for Civil Liberties has accused Ireland's data protection watchdog of pulling the brakes on the enforcement of the EU's GDPR. According to the report, the Irish Data Protection Commission is the GDPR's worst bottleneck, as many tech companies including Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Facebook and TikTok all have their European headquarters in Ireland. The DPC is the lead authority on many crucial data protection cases, but for the Irish Council of Civil Liberties, it's felt that it's falling short of its task. In an open letter, the NGO singles out Justice Commissioner Didier Reinders, urging him to start an infringement procedure against Ireland for failing to enforce GDPR. The Commissioner has the duty to see that European law is properly applied. That includes GDPR. The data we published today shows this has not happened. To protect us all and to make sure that Google, Facebook and other big tech firms are held accountable, it's important that Commission Reinders now intervenes, said Johnny Ryan, a senior fellow at the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. A Commission spokesperson said that we are aware, as stressed in our 2020 GDPR report, that the efficiency of the cooperation between data protection authorities needs to be further improved. Several steps have recently been taken in this direction within the board. The Commission continues to closely monitor the cooperation in cross-border cases, the representative added. It's recognised that right across Europe, one of the problems is that a handful of countries, such as France, Germany, Ireland, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Spain and Sweden, receive more than 70% of total complaints about data breaches. The report found that EU countries continue to increase the data protection authorities' budgets, but at an increasingly lower rate. The German authority alone counts for one-third of entire EU spending on GDPR. The Irish Council for Civil Liberties also emphasised the fact that the European Commission is lacking on data on whether the data protection authorities across Europe are using their powers, to what extent and in what instances. As a result, GDPR is silently failing, they claim.
The current context with the UK advocating for a more business-friendly approach and willing to move away from some of the EU bloc's key privacy components further increases the pressure on the EU and EU capitals. They need to demonstrate that their system actually works, said Deletta Di Ciso, an associate at Steptoe's law firm. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurer production. Until next time, bye-bye.